Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I'm joined uh, by Bill Merrick, who's the Managing Director of Trinity P3 UK. And uh, we're here in London because uh, Trinity P3 UK is up and running. So welcome, Bill. Thank you, Darren. It's great to be here. And welcome to the Trinity P3 group of companies, or the gang as we like to call it. Well, I must admit, I love being a gang member, so I'm enjoying it very much so far. Well, uh, you know, it's when we start uh, inking in tattoos with our uh, texters and markers that you know you're really part of the gang. Do I have to scrub the ones I've already got? <laughs> Look, Bill, um, one of the great things is that you have the perfect uh, experience for uh, what we do because you've got that incredible balance of being both uh, in previously a marketer and managing some big global accounts from an agency side. So... If you don't mind, I wouldn't mind exploring some of those things. Sure, no, that's great. I mean, it does go back a bit further than just the marketer and the backwards and forwards on that between agency and uh, marketing director, because I started my life in retailing as a graduate trainee with Woolworths in Australia and ended up being the new store opening manager for Target in New South Wales. Wow, so uh, you've even been at the coalface, as they call it. I have, and then I went on to Mar the Mars Corporation where I was the sales training director and then state manager doing the major negotiations with Woolworths, Coles and Safeway. And after that ran Taubman's, the paint company in the Southern States for a year before I moved into agencies. Wow, so um, you know, this means that uh, you can also appreciate the, the gap, the, the chasms that uh, often form within organizations between, for instance, marketing and sales. Well, I can, I mean, it was interesting. My first job was with um, an American agency called Scully McCabe Sloves in Melbourne. And in fact, that was, they were looking for somebody to be a board director who wasn't what they called an empty suit because they realized that more and more of their problems came from marketing directors who didn't know what the answer was. Right. So with my experience on both supply chain, selling, marketing, retail, it was um, the great start to the um, revolution in marketing communications, which is do everything, not just the one thing. And do you think that's uh, part of the issue today? Because certainly since the uh, uh, the recession in the late um, 80s, uh, marketers seem to have come more and more from university courses than they have come through the business, especially in the large uh, global companies. I think, by the way, I think that's a very good point. I mean, it's a, it's a big issue um, and it's an increasingly big issue trying to find people who are not educated in that but experienced in those things have actually seen how supply chain works, how manufacturing works, how procurement works, understanding the complexities between those. And a lot of them come straight from university, go into product management roles and then go into brand manager roles, then into marketing director roles without seeing the commercial side of the operation. So they have no real understanding of where it fits from a commercial point of view or within the business. I mean, what we talk about the difference in marketing objectives and business objectives, there's a chasm in understanding there. Well, and, and you know, marketing should be positioned as part of the commercial drivers of a business. So it must be incredibly difficult to see your role in an overall business if you only have a marketing perspective to bring to that, wouldn't I, it? I'm not sure that how you can do it. I mean, I really, I really feel sorry for my colleagues over the years who have actually done it that way and end up lost. And if you look at the, um, 
the tenure of an average marketing director at the global level is 18 months. And then most of them actually move on to another role. It's diminished constantly. They, they tend to go down once they've hit the peak. And they don't seem to be able to find the way back. And you're looking at that more and more. I'm in the States. You don't take a marketing director's job if you're sensible anymore. You actually move off into private enterprise, go into consulting, because it's just too dangerous an occupation. Mm. Yeah, so uh, this idea of you know, a long-term marketing career, if, if I'm hearing you the right way, is the peak is you hit uh, global marketing director or even marketing director in a single market. Um, and then it's, well, where to from here? Because the transition into business is only possible if you have com the commercial understanding of how the whole business works. Very much so. If, if we remember, if we look back to the 60s and 70s, or even before that, the 50s and 60s, the CEOs of organizations came from manufacturing or were um, experts in manufacturing or finance. Then it moved into the era of the marketing director becoming the CEO. That didn't last very long. It lasted about 15 years. Then after that, it's become the finance people who move in or the operations or even in some instances, IT directors. And I think what's happened is the marketing department became the advertising department and has had trouble going back to being a proper marketing department and understanding their role commercially in organizations. And if I look at the single biggest mistake that I think lots of marketing directors get drawn into is because the, the agencies they're dealing with are so time consuming and can take up a lot of time if you allow it, they spend their time there and not with their board members, with their finance people, with the supply chain, with the manufacturing people, with the product design people. It's, a, it's the wrong focus in terms of how they should spend their day. So when you were operating at that level as marketing director, yeah, and, and that was a regional or global? It was a regional role in, yeah. um, in Asia Pacific, yeah. Yeah, so, so what would you say was your percentage of time actually thinking about advertising and agencies compared to those other areas that you were talking about? You know, board, stakeholders, customers? Well, to, to make sure I didn't get drawn into that, in fact, it was something which I'd been obsessed about for years, was I hired the best person I knew in Australia to be my advertising manager and let her deal with the entire thing. Mm. And she did, she did it brilliantly. So it meant that I could focus upon building relationships, particularly since the company I was with was Compact Computer. All of our business was done through dealers, distributors, through a supply chain that way. And you spend a lot of time with them building those relationships and it's extraordinary what it can do to your, to your margins, profitability and success, which is what we did. Um, so I would spend about 50% of my time with my other board members, about 40% with customers and about 10% dealing with issues mainly on the public relations and investor relations side rather than advertising. Advertising was about 1% of my time. Yeah, and yet uh, agencies are wondering often why they can't get any traction with the senior marketers or even the C-suite of an organisation when you're saying at a regional marketing director level 1% of your time was concerned about and I bet it was mainly solving problems rather than actually driving uh, solutions. Normally when I had to see the, the managing director of an agency is because there was an issue with their performance or somebody was getting offended by what they'd done. And I think it's sad. The best CEOs I know of agencies, and I know lots of them, are the ones who want to talk to the board and, this, and the head of the, the marketing at the agency, uh, sorry, the client, to actually 
resolve the business issues, it's to talk about the problems that business faces. I think the broader uh, that a marketing director can actually talk, be spoken to by his agencies about what the business issues are and how do they align the KPIs to the business issues, not just the marketing issues, the more successful they are and the longer the relationship. And that, that's, I think, that fact is affirmed But if you look at some of the longer term relationships in the world. They have been with agencies for 80 to 90 years. And yet these days, the fashion is about two years and you're dead. Yeah, two to three years and people are inclined to change. Well, you know, you pointed out that uh, marketing directors change, uh, I think you said every 18 months. I've, I've read 22 months, but, you know, we're talking less than two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the, uh, the uh, anomalies, or no, not an anomaly, an alignment, mm-hmm. is that every time there's a new marketing director, there can be a new pitch for a new agency. So well, That's right. I mean, particularly with new, newer marketing directors, the ones who get promoted, it's their... It's the way to get a profile quite quickly in the industry they love so that I can get an invitation to Cannes, I can be, you know, wined and dined at great expense. And, and the problem is that then leads to a, an addiction with the distraction, which means that you're never going to last long. If you're not out there where your customers are, if you're not out there helping your board members solving the business problems, mm. then the solving the agency's problems for them is not going to keep you in your tenure for very long. Mm. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, And you see that where a marketer is very brand and advertising focused, they're usually more marginalised from the core business. Where a marketer is more customer focused and commercially focused, they're usually more integrated into the business. I think that's true. I think it's interesting if you look at the the world's biggest branded companies, though, particularly the Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Mars organization, although Mars has an advantage because it's a private company, they tend to be the people who come up with a commercial acumen that I think is seriously missing in lots of other branded organizations. They tend to look at a lot of it as the, um, our best friends should be the agency, the activation people, the public relations people. They want a Facebook page. They They basically just want to be loved by everybody. They haven't understand the role is to be dispassionate about everything, treat them all equally and choose the ones that you need, not the ones that you want. Right. Or the ones you'll, don't choose the ones you like, choose the ones that actually deliver do an outcome or a result. They have to do something for the business. Mm. If they're not doing something for the business, then all you're doing is playing with something fashionable to make new friends. Mm. Whether you like it or not, that's what you're doing. And the problem is a lot of people don't get that independent advice, which is one of the things I love about Trinity P3 and the opportunity from when I left um, Ogilvy, to actually go out and do something where I can actually rescue people from making those sorts of silly decisions. And by the way, it's not meant to be in an insulting way, it's simply to point out that there are alternatives. You, these are all choices. You can choose to do it well, or you can choose to do it madly, but make sure you know which is which. Mm. And that's, that's the point, is it's actually about uh, helping people make more informed decisions. Very because, you know, and, and what, one of the things I wanted to explore with you is, you know, marketing has become more and more complex, not because of the strategic approach to marketing, but because of the number of opportunities in implementation. The complexity is, you know, marketing strategy is largely the same as it's always been. The process of marketing strategy is about understanding the customer and the market and the competitive set and looking for the commercial opportunities for advantage for the business. You know, the the basic idea is the same. 
Where it becomes incredibly complex and where I notice a lot of marketers start to suffer from, you know, uh, the, the choice paradox is that when it comes to implementation, and you must have seen that in the last 10 to 15 years, how there is so many additional ways of do, you know, executing something that it almost becomes the distraction from what was the strategy in the first place. It's, it's absolutely true. I mean, the... Um that's it. They are all distractions. I know I'm, I'm one of the people, I think, who believe that marketing hasn't changed significantly at all. And you, you mentioned it's who do you want to talk to, what do you want to say, and what are you trying to sell them? What do you want them to think as a result? Now, the, the problem is it's the layers of the cake and the dressing on what's essentially underneath. The underneath hasn't changed at all. It's still sort of a Christmas cake, but it's a question of how you ice it. Mm. And then the problem, the distraction is how overly decorated do you want it to be? So I think a lot of people these days are actually under pressure to make choices because the noise is extraordinary. And the problem is you have ill-informed people all around you in your organization and your advisors trying to tell you that you need to do things simply because everybody else is doing them. Mm. I think the biggest discipline anybody, both in the marketing and all of the ancillary industry that goes along with it, should do is go back to the basics and look at the fundamental questions of what, what do we need to do with this business and how does marketing help and what can marketing do with all the other rest of the rest of the organization and their suppliers to cl- to basically bring them all together and make them all work in harmony towards the business's objectives not the ego of any one of the individual members yeah i think um as you say there's been a fundamental shift hasn't there in the relationships with your uh, what used to be called agency partners, mm-hmm. but I think increasingly the realisation that they're all suppliers and vendors because most of the advice you're getting, whether it's an agency, whether it's a technology company, whether it's a data uh, uh, analytics firm or whatever, is that they're giving you advice to sell you something to actually get you to use their particular methodology or their particular approach because, in their words, it's the right one for you. Well, it's a bit like religion. It's only, it's only our religion will lead you to the light. I mean, the unfortunate thing is there are so many paths there and normally they lead to darkness because there isn't one path. And I think the, the problem with the industry is also is the fact that it's become, over the last 20 years, it's become commoditized. You know, it's come down to how much is an alley rate, how much is a person worth if you buy slices of them. So it's treated like accountancy and law. And by the way, the IT guys, I think, have specialized in not being commoditized too much. But there really is the whole thing on cost pressure. Can we get it cheaper? Can we, we, may as well, we may as well shift because nothing's different anywhere else. And I think it, is, it comes down to the common sense of the people you're talking to on realizing where they fit and how they can help what they do and you do fit with something else if it's needed. The idea is it's a bit like being a great editor. It's what you take away that makes a great book, not what you add to it. Mm. And it's the same with television and film. The greatest films, the greatest plays are always those that are heavily edited and and very precise. Well, and and that is actually the definition that I subscribe to for strategy. And it's straight out of, and very popular in the 80s, and you're going to smile when uh, I tell you the... uh, the name, but it is Song Sun Tzu's Art of War says at the very start of the book, strategy is the wars you don't, the battles you don't fight, the leaders you don't follow, the armies you don't engage. You know, what he's saying is the great strategy is actually a reductive process. 
It's deciding what you don't do that is much more important than what you do. Because in actual fact, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. And in a world that we live in today, when there's more things you can do than ever before, great strategy is working out what are the few things that you should do with the resources at hand that actually make you successful and achieve your objective. I think that's true. I remember, um, in fact, I was talking to my wife about it the other day, the, the days when we all had um, pocket money as, as children. There were those who went away to, um, to the sweet shop and spent their whole shilling on a, you know, on sweets. I remember my father's advice was spend threepence on a matchbox toy, sixpence on a corgi car, and the other three on sweets. You'll stay thinner, you'll be fitter, and you'll have more toys. Yeah. And you think that seems to be sensible. If you look at the choices, if you take a marketing director these days who has a certain amount of money, the fewer things he spends it on well will make him significantly more successful and double his tenure from the 18 or the 22 months that he actually has to survive. But let's be honest, when you were in a regional and global role on the agency side, isn't there a pressure on you in an agency to actually sell your client more services so that you actually become more entangled in their marketing business and also capture more of their budget? Yes, I think that's true, but it it was done in a very different way. 20 to 30 years ago, the agency was looking at ways that they could actually plug in more. And remember, it was on commission and service fees, so the the way that you were selling services in was better, and you realized where you could and couldn't compete. And it was also selling in basically basically what you had in-house. So in those days, it was the creative services, the strategic planning, and media. And the world was a simpler place. You could bundle that under one roof. Then that all disintegrated. So the problem is that the choice for a marketing director is that he has to almost, he's driven to go to different places. And then technology has come along and also um, added to the choices of where money can be spent. And I think part of the job of the marketing director is to go back to the board and say, which area should the budget fit in? How much of it is mine? And what should I do with it that will contribute to the business? So the, the discussion... Even back in those days, I was talking to our technology director and we were an IT company famous for services and selling it to other people. We were very careful about the way that we used technology internally and who should pay for it and what the outcome was going to be. Mm. Because the technology director has the same responsibility in a way as the marketing director on what to do with his money. The other thing, the other point which occurred to me on the way through too is that part of the marketing director's responsibility in most organizations is to go looking for the money that can contribute to the success of the company. And I think that's forgotten a lot in in the sense of they have internal stakeholders that they need to get the money from to do their job, which is why you spend a lot of time or should spend a lot of time with those people understanding their businesses. Because it could well be that they've put aside two or three million to do a particular task, that if you're very good at marketing, you can actually just send them to lunch with somebody and then take the money to do something else. And they'll agree if they meet their objectives, they're um, pragmatic people. So it's a question of how flexible one is as a marketing director and how well-skilled one is in all of the arts of selling direct marketing, you know, however you call direct, using technology or not. It's the skill of the mix. So because one of the things that is a constant uh, complaint of many marketers is that they don't have enough budget. And it seems to me to be the wrong complaint because the fact is that the budget is the budget. 
you know, there is a certain amount of resource that you either learn to work with the budget and make it perform to its optimum, or you become very good at selling to the C-suite, the CFO and the board as to why they need to spend more. But, you know, this is what uh, accountability in marketing is all about. And in fact, we've seen with this move towards zero-based budgeting, that's what it's actually the C-suite is driving down onto marketers the requirement to be accountable for the results of their budget. I mean, this is this is good practice anyway, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, by the way, what you just said was it's a bit like saying, I wish Beethoven had written this differently. I could play it well then and we could make it sound good. I think the, uh, and the issue about zero-based budgeting, because I've been a great believer in it since my Mars days, is the, if you, if you come up with a business opportunity or you know what the business opportunity is and you can quantify it, then it's a question of how much money do you need to be able to, make, to contribute that to the company. And I think this whole thing about the historical budgeting process is it means you're going to be making the same mistakes with slightly more or slightly less money on a longer term basis. But you're never going to be looking at the, wow, this is fantastic. What do I need to do with it? Mm. It also means that you do tend to look at the what can I take away rather than add so I can get lots of something and do that well rather than splitting across many things and doing all of them badly. Well, I always, um, when we're doing the work around looking at someone's roster, and they have this expansive roster. One of the things that I always think about is, well, what are all the things they're trying to do? And to me, it's like the sprinkler on the um, on the oval that uh, is spraying the water as far and as wide as possible. You know, it's almost like the budget ends up going. Yeah, and is that as effective as just getting a fire hose and just spraying it at one point? You know, this idea and, and of, of sprinkling a little bit of water as far as possible, is that really as good as really working out what is the group of people that you need to influence and putting all your resources at that? I think it goes even, more, it goes even further than I think it, it, work, it works on the basis of great farmers work out what crops they need to grow and what they need to do it with. So the thing of sprinkling somewhere, something everywhere and the hope that something might actually take off is if you want to grow a tree, you have to make sure you've planted the right tree and you mm. water just that. And I think that's what people forget is that it, what are you trying to do? It all comes down to what are you trying to do? And I think so many people are just confused about they choose the medium before they've even chosen what the message is or the audience they're talking to. It's the sort of let's do this rather than I wonder what we're trying to do. What does the board want to do? How much money can we eke out of the organization to invest in the things that we've got a proven thing on? And I, I must have been, I've been lucky enough in the last 10 to 15 years to work with two or three companies that took the approach on the entire world economy is changing completely. Where are the opportunities? Where do we need to divert our resources? And how much do, do we all think we can put behind these things? to use influence properly, because it comes down to how much does influence cost, where do you need to sprinkle that to get your crops growing, and that's where the the choices come in of what are we trying to do and how are we going to get there, mm. and what, what can we afford to do and what can't we afford to do. Because sometimes just having a lunch with somebody, just sending them a direct mail, just sending somebody an email can have as much influence as pissing away 15 million on rubbish. You know? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, and that's one of the things uh, is, is, you know, measuring performance. Mm-hmm. Um, people have said, oh, it's always a challenge. But increasingly, it's uh, it's become much easier 
to measure performance in almost any area, hasn't it? Because there is so much more data available. Now the issue is making sure you're measuring the right thing rather than the wrong thing that actually leads to performance. What, what approaches have you used in both your marketing uh, roles and also your agency roles, or what are, what's your approach to measuring the performance? Well, it's obviously changed tremendously over the last 20, 25 years, because I think that the truth is in, in what you just said, is the way of, it's much easier to measure everything these days, but some things don't make any contribution to the business, no matter how you measure them. So it's, it's being clear about, first of all, what your objectives are, working out how you measure the things that you want to achieve in the best way possible and ignoring everything else. Mm. So if, I, if, if a client says, I need to increase the number of successful RFPs that I convert in a year, mm. and I've worked with some very big infrastructure companies, their whole thing comes down to, we, we need to be on that $6 billion deal. What do we need to do to go after that? How do we convert it? So the measurement is, how did you get that deal? Did you did you get that on? How many of those and were closed? How, and, yeah. and how many of those did you close? And so and the so I feel sorry for the people who say, well, we got this many hits, we got this many from from likes. intangible likes, or you know, because <laughs> um, I can put my thumb up all day and nothing happens. I think it's um, it's a question of are you measuring something that actually contributes to the business's success. And can you actually measure what that success is? And if you've actually started out with an objective that's driven by your measurement of success that you weren't, in fact, going for in the first place, you've wasted everybody's money. Do you think there's some marketers, though, that are concerned that with that criteria of measurement, they could end up finding out that a lot of what they're doing is actually making very small contribution, if any, to the business success? Um, is that what's stopping them moving to performance-based models? Because there is a big resistance to using financial performance in any shape or form. You know, they'll default to brand health and, and not link brand health to financial, long-term financial performance. And they'll diminish sales and revenue as, well, that's short-term and tactical and not marketing. I simply think that they're terrified of... Um the conversations they need to have internally to sell financially performance-based modeling. Because it, it's easy to convince most boards and C-suite that you're actually, you're making a difference. But in fact, what's happened is the marketing department has almost become like a um, the Cinderella of the company. It's will they get invited to the ball or not? They don't go to the, the important meetings. They're just on the side. You give them money every day or every year and they go away and make pretty pictures for you. I think that the C-suites need to start understanding where the performance measurement comes in, particularly from a financial point of view. And all of them need to collaborate much, much more closely on how do you set those objectives in the first place. And I think that's where, that's where we have a responsibility to come in to say, hang on a minute, look, if you just got together and, and set these objectives, which are to do with the performance of the organization, and what do you want to do short, short term, what are you going to do to contribute to the midterm performance that will contribute to the long term performance? And if you don't work out those three things, then you're obviously going to keep on changing your supposed strategy the whole time. Mm-hmm. And you'll never be sure about where you want where you're going to end up. Because one of the things that uh, constantly uh, confuses me 
is that when you have financial performance, sales, let's say, and you've got a sales department and a marketing department, every sale that's delivered, the salespeople take ownership of and say marketing made no contribution. And the marketers say, well, you know, it's all because of us that you're able to make those sales. And it seems that none of them can actually get their head around the idea of, of apportioning or attributing contribution to sales, which is as fallacious as last click attribution that says all of my website traffic came from Google. You know, when actual yeah. fact, the reason that people even searched for me was that they saw the TV ad or they saw the outdoor billboard or they saw my storefront or they or heard about it from a neighbor. All of these things actually led to the person putting into Google a search term that led to a click. And so I've got to invest in Google because all of my web traffic comes from Google. You know, wh why do people think that they live in a simple world where one transaction is actually the whole reason that it exists in isolation and they can't deal with attribution? It's it, Having worked in lots of organisations, particularly in the early part of my career where the who was actually contributing the most, and it really was the, the argument between sales and marketing, you can actually say, if it's realistic, and you get them in a room together, by the way, and demonstrate the way that the numbers work and where, what comes from where and why that translates, is they were very bad at actually linking the two together. That's all gone now, that you can actually link all of those things. You actually you can come up with proven method, methodology and measurements that show that they're done. Part of the problem is, it reduces their individual power to claim that they're making the biggest contribution to it. So, I, but... But as, is, as a whole, yes. the company is successful, so who cares? Who cares? <laughs> like, I'm sure the shareholder's not sitting there going, oh, wow, I got a big dividend. I wonder, was it sales or was it marketing? Well, the, uh, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't... Funnily enough, the only, the only CEO I've ever met who actually believed that strongly was... Um, of a very big infrastructure company where we did something quite intelligent in the United States at one stage, just after the recession of 2008. And people were having the argument about who'd done it. Mm. And he said, no, no, you make a mistake, everybody did it. And oh. what, what we did was we increased their revenue by $6 billion in 12 months. Oh. So it didn't matter who'd done it. It was just the fact that, by the way, we used very small amounts of resources to do it. But I see the same thing when we have the conversation around performance for agencies. First of all, the agency goes, well, we only want to get paid a performance bonus if we can completely control and contribute to the sale, which is never going to happen. Right? And secondly, the marketers go, well, we don't want to pay them a bonus because they're not the ones that actually close the sale. If this is the case, this is my point of view, by mm -hmm. the way, Bill, if that's the case, <laughs> if you really believe that they made no contribution, then don't use them. Mm -hmm. If you think sales is the only thing that drives sales, get rid of your marketing department. No CEO will ever do it, mm -hmm. but do it. If you think the agency makes no contribution, don't use an agency. You know, yeah. if, you, if you cannot get your head around the idea of attribution and apportioning responsibility to a goal, then you are living in a fantasy world where things happen in simple cause and effect. And in actual fact, all human activity is in a, a world of complexity where it's almost impossible to be able to know exactly what happened 
but everyone, may, if they're making contributions that lead to positive outcomes, that's the best that's you can the best. do. Well, it is the best you can do. I mean, I'm sorry, but all of that is um, true from any point of view. When I was back in my days as a marketing director, ignoring the side of the agencies, I mean, I spent enough time with them to know that they were making their contribution to what our overall master plan was, which to me was as long as we're heading on track to hitting our company's objectives for turnover and margin, mm. and we were building relationships that we knew would stand us in good stead for the future and contributing to the company's share price, and we had measurements in place to all those things, I couldn't care less what any of the individuals were doing as long as there was an attributable contribution to the whole. Mm. So, and that's all that matters at the end. You know, people think that an agency, an particularly an advertising agency can make a significant difference to their entire company's results, mm. then everybody's deluded because there are so many other things that have to happen to put the agency in that position of contribution. Mm. Look, it just made me, uh, while you were saying that, I had this vision of someone going, you know what, my right hand is stronger than my left. It makes more contributions. I'm going to cut my left hand off, right. you know, yeah. because it really doesn't contribute much at all. You know, it's the holistic approach that's much more important. Yeah. And all of the people I know who've been very successful in both the marketing world and the agency world don't put it down to one specific discipline, one specific factor. They realize that really, you know, I hate to use the old analogy of the um, conductor. It's knowing which bits you emphasize at which times of a particular score. And the most beautiful music in the world is, is built by incredible nuance and subtlety in everything. Mm. And, it re and coming back to the Sun Tzu, his whole book is about the subtlety of thought to achieve particular strategy. You know, it's what, which, which fights do you want to get into? Hmm. How do you want to engage? Do you want it to be on a bloody level or do you want it to just be a negotiation? Well, he, he says the best victory is one where no blood is spilled. Shed, that's right. Yeah, because you win by playing the competitor against themselves. Yeah. Um, look, we're running out of time, but uh, with your experience from both a market or an agency experience, I'm just, and, and take a few minutes, uh, I, I want you to give three pointers or a piece of advice you would give a marketing director or CMO and three pieces of advice you'd give someone running uh, accounts on the agency side in today's world. So, you know, what would what should marketing directors be thinking about, the top three things, and what should agencies be doing to position themselves or, or be valuable to their clients? Let's start with the marketers. The marketing director, I mean, the first thing I did in any marketing role was to go in and talk to the heads of divisions and the CEO, the finance director, and then the key customers to get a, a fundamental understanding of what the business was about and, the, and who were the customers, why were they customers, how, what did our good customers think, what did our bad customers think. And I don't mean the people who are the ultimate end consumer of something, but I mean the internal customers yeah. and the dealers, distributors, supply chain. And for some businesses these days, they are significantly more important than doing the advertising to the end consumer. That's yeah. a bit like a public window. So I think there's that. The That's one. So the second thing is to understand the supply chain, understand how that works from product development, manufacturing, all the way through, because you can look at opportunities there which we can make a significant difference before you even start to talk to an agency. Mm -hmm. I think the third thing is to actually help people work out how much money you need 
to do, sorry, start with the who do they need to talk to to do all of this and work out what portion of what money or how much money you need to talk to each one of those groups. And why, why those groups are important if you put them all together into a homogenous lump to yeah. say, well, they're all the people we need to talk to. We know what we need to say, so we need, we need to work out. How to, so, and that could be uh, internal, yeah. external, whoever. Anyway, it's, it's All whoever. stakeholders. Yes, and we, we used to do it through uh, workshops. We would facilitate workshops with all of those key people, and we wouldn't start a workshop unless the key person was in the room mm -hmm. because there's nothing worse than doing those things and then going back again and finding out that they can change their mind. So you have to do it, you know, there has to be a disciplined, you know, approach to it. And sometimes it needs coercion. And I think that's one of the things you do as a marketing director, if you're good at it, you, you build coercive things to make sure the results are, mm. which is why some of the best directors, marketing directors I've ever known, who've been in their jobs for a long time, um, are seen as almost bullying or coercive, but my God, do they get results. They get results. Now, on the agency side, so someone that's uh, managing global pieces of business, where are, what are the three things that they can do to most prove the value that they provide to the overall um, marketing strategy? Um, the key thing, which is hard to believe, is simply take the person who's the marketing director into a meeting with his CEO, with you in the room, so that he doesn't say anything. You can say all the things that he wants to say and needs to say, and the only thing you'll get from the CEO is, oh, that's interesting, or, wow, we should look at that. I, in all my time with great marketing directors or marketing communications leaders or heads of communications, is if you say, we can help you solve that, introduce me to the board member responsible, because what you're doing is you're softening their role in it. You're making them look good. You can say things that they can't because their careers are at stake. Yours isn't. Yeah. I've never been in a position where I've ever felt threatened by going in and doing that. Providing advice. Providing advice. And the whole thing is to listen very carefully to those people in those meetings and then figure out very quickly what you can do that will make a difference to their business results. Yeah. You know, some of the most interesting things I've done where people had no money to do anything but we would say there's an opportunity if you went into that country with that economy at this time, you'll get this result. Mm -hmm. They'd say, well, how much will that cost? And you'd, you'd work out, you'd have a rough idea and say, you can do it for this. But we'll need to bring in some other agencies to do that and open the thing with an offer of collaboration with other people that are in their organizations. Then get them all in a room together, butt their heads together and say, this is what you can all make out of this. So if you so do that's it that more way, a consulting role, isn't it? Much it's more. Uh, rather than just selling agency services, you're actually providing well, solutions. All of my all of my colleagues at the global level in the last two agencies, to be honest, didn't give a damn about what they sold downstream. It was can we solve the problem at that level? Mm. Because it's it's not only where the fame and glory is, but it's also where the real sense of satisfaction of I solved a real problem. Mm. And then if they're good enough, and most organisations, when you break through at that level will learn to cascade things according to the needs of their organization. There is yeah. no one, there's no one answer. Mm. But the whole thing is you become a very good consultant. And all the people you're then working with are other good consultants who get it. Well, clearly you've spent uh, 15 or 20 years getting uh, very good at being a consultant. So, um, look, we've run out of time, Bill, but welcome to the gang. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Can I have my tattoo now? <laughs>